Hey guys, it's Dr. Poland here from Superior Chiropractic and Rehab Radio. I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for supporting our channel and listening to all the great content that we have coming out. Because our goal here is to help every community stay active, strong, and healthy without prescription drugs or surgery. And so bringing these guests on is going to help us accomplish that goal. Now to help further support our channel so we can spread the message to more people, I would really appreciate it if you could hit that like and subscribe button on our page to make sure that one, you get notifications of when a new episode drops and you can share it to your friends and family. So thanks so much. We so appreciate your support. Now, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Brad Pullen from Superior Chiropractic and Rehab Radio. And today I have my good friend from chiropractic school, Dr. Brad Muse. Hey doc, how you doing? I'm doing good, Brad. Nice to be chatting with another Brad. I hear you there. Yeah. Brad and Brad. It could be like a spinoff podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, hey, Doc, if you don't mind, can you just kind of give my audience a little bit of background of who you are and what you do for your community? Oh, okay. Um, love talking about myself. Um, well, I initially started out as an athletic trainer, as I believe you did, too you have some background in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I initially got my start at a small school called Otterbein university where I got my bachelor's in athletic training, went on and got my master's in athletic training at a slightly larger school, Wright state university in Dayton, Ohio. And then I practiced as an athletic trainer for about eight years before deciding to go back to school again for chiropractic. Um, loved my time as an athletic trainer. It was great. I just kind of saw some writings on the wall where I wanted to take the next step and all transparency. Like I had never seen a chiropractor before going to chiropractic school. I had no, I didn't grow up in a family where we went to one consistently or anything like that. Um, I just, I, I, I was able to meet some great people in the field that I saw how they were doing things. And I'm sure we'll get into that some, but um, they just were big mentors of mine who pushed me towards the the chiropractic world. And then I ended up moving out to St. Louis to go to Logan University where you and I met. And then a few short years later, now I'm back in Columbus, Ohio, working at an office called Columbus Chiropractic and Rehabilitation Center. Awesome. I, I love to hear that. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I mean, because I know we've had other athletic trainers on this podcast, but they, they, they've never made the transition to becoming a chiropractor. And I know you mentioned about how you'd never seen a chiropractor. You're like, what made you want to become a chiropractor rather than another occupation, like a medical doctor or a physical mm-hmm. therapist or anything like that? Well, <laughs> I had looked into things like physical therapy school. I had looked into PA, um, a lot of it. I mean, by the time I was looking at making the transition, I was old enough where they were not going to take my credits anymore from school. Um, so I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise where, where I was thinking, you know, I don't want to go to s- school another two years before I can apply to one of these higher degrees like physical therapy or PA. And, you know, not talking down about those professions. I think there's like really good practitioners in both of those. But the thing that really stuck out for me in regards to chiropractic is the, the freedom that we have in, in terms of how we treat our patients and how we can run our own business. Um, that was one of the things with athletic training that kind of got me to switch out was, you know, I didn't see myself always working under somebody else. I wanted to build my own style of a practice and be able to treat the community in the way that I seemed what or in the way that I deemed uh, was like the best possible treatment that could be provided. Unfortunately, I think sometimes in some other career paths, there's some outside influences on how they may be treating people. Once again, I think there's great practitioners in in all these fields, Um, but chiropractic just seemed to be the one that allowed me the most um, autonomy in what I could do and and, um, you know, they, they were ready to accept me at the school too. And that it, it all worked out perfectly. I just, all the dominoes kind of fell in place for me to get me to the point, uh, where I, I think I could succeed the most. And that's what I really appreciate about you and your story. Whenever we first met at Logan, 
because we both had that similar background, the athletic training field. We worked in the trenches for a few years. We networked. We try to, you know, do the best we can for our student athletes. But we knew at the end of the day, we both wanted to have some sort of physician status. So we didn't have to rely underneath someone else's medical license to practice the way we wanted to practice. Uh Um, So just give us an idea of, you know, your practice style. Because I know a lot of folks who go see a chiropractor, I mean, you could go to see five chiropractors and get five different treatment options. So what would you say has been more your bread and butter whenever you approach it, approach it, um, when you have a patient approach you? Yeah. I mean, that comes down to like why marketing as a, what we would deem evidence-based chiropractor or forward thinking, whatever you want to call it, where it becomes a little challenging because unfortunately the general public does have its thought process on what a chiropractor is. You know, there's the classic go in, get adjusted, maybe get some x-rays and just kind of an in and out deal, which, you know, that helps some people Um, for the population that I see. That's, that's not going to cut it. I see a lot of chronic pain and failed surgeries and that's just not the level of care that's going to make a change in those people. So our approach is very much what we would deem like a functional based approach. So utilizing things like, um, something called McKinsey method, which is more of a stems from the physical therapy world, which is kind of my looking glass that I look through for my initial evaluation. Other things like dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Yes, the adjustment. Yes, the soft tissue stuff. I use all of these different things, but I use them in a combined approach to to provide the best care that I that I believe is out there for, for the patient. So for the general public, we always tell prospective patients that it's, it's a mix between chiropractic and physical therapy. I mean, that's, you know, where I think the straight chiropractic world is great. The, the straight physical therapy world can be great for people, but I think combining the manual therapy approach with the active care approach is something that not too many people can provide on the level that um, people in the same boat as me can, can um, provide. So um, yeah, I mean, I I think that's kind of it in terms of, you know, uh, elevator pitch for people is we're just combining a really good exercise to make the patient self-sufficient. And then I provide some manual therapy to kind of get them moving in the right direction. I always, tell people I, I'm kind of like AAA. If you get stuck on the side of the road, I'm just there to try to get you off out, out of the ditch, but then get you to be to the point where you can drive down the road by yourself. That's kind of what I look, you know, looking at my kind of practice, that's what I do. And, and that's one thing that a lot of new chiropractors that I've noticed who are graduating school within the past two, three years or so is that they're really following that model is that we don't want you to be dependent on us to treat your aches and pains. So for example, if you have some sort of disc issue, we're going to make sure that we get you out of pain. We're going to strengthen the muscles and whatnot, but we're also going to teach you what you need to do in the event that you get a flare up or you do something that irritates your low back so that you don't need to call either a physical therapist or a chiropractor to come in for a treatment for three times a week for a year uh-huh. or some of these other models that other clinicians have used in the past. Some of those who've graduated probably within the last 30 to 40 years who still practice that way. Yeah. Um, so what would you say necessarily speaking is whenever you do come across a patient who has seen a, a clinician who has experienced or had that really sour taste in their mouth of hey, you know, the last chiropractor I went to, it felt like they only wanted to take my money and see me for the rest of their life. You know, what do you usually say to that patient kind of comfort them that, that, that you're not the same chiropractor that they've seen before? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to just patient experience when they come in. Our biggest marketing piece is patient experience in the office because that's the thing we can control the most, right? So from the moment they walk in, how the front desk treats them, from the moment they step into the treatment room, I'm one-on-one with them. I'm, I'm showing interest in their story. Not just, you know, I hardly ever get right into their pain. I, I mess around with them. I talk to them. I ask them where they come from, what they're into, all that stuff. Um, unfortunately, in some places, you know, not just other chiropractic offices, but you, 
you know, we've all been to, let's say MDs who it's like, well, the doctor was in there for three minutes in and out. And, um, I just don't, I just don't agree with that model. Um, man, if I could evaluate and treat someone within three minutes, I'd be driving a much nicer car, but I, <laughs> I, I don't think it's possible. We need time to get to know the patient. And, um, so I think like the first one is just patient experience, showing them that like, no, you're here with me and we're going to figure this out. And I, you know, then the next level of it is I tell people the the biggest service I provide is the examination. If you're really good at the exam, then the treatment should be fairly easy. And I think that's where a lot of young clinicians and older clinicians lack because I hear some of the stuff from them going to, I mean, name the profession, other chiros, PTs, MDs, DOs, whatever it is, and they just get a very lackluster exam where they focus on the side of pain, like if it's elbow pain. And they do everything under the sun to the elbow. It doesn't get any better. And we do a simple exam and determine, okay, well, this is actually a referral from the neck. Treat it a couple times and they get better. Not saying that I'm like hitting home runs every single time with that kind of thing, but the amount of times that that happens is frustrating because just a little bit of an exam could have told him, well, this isn't a muscle strain or whatever. It's, it's neurogenic coming from the neck and I have them do some stupid chin tuck like exercises and it gets better. Like that's, they, sometimes the patient seems very frustrated by that. It's like, that's all I had to do after I just paid all this money on x-rays, MRIs, injections, whatever. And then I just have them like tuck their, neck back a couple times and it gets better um so i think like to bring it all together and answer your question i think it's just proof is in the pudding in terms of showing them your worth show them that you're there one-on-one with them you actually care about them you're going to spend time talking to them and then backing it up with actual good clinical care because i mean you can be the nicest person on earth but if you're not getting clinical results well then i mean uh, that's not really why they're there just to have a good time. They want to actually get better. So it, it's a combination of all those things. Yeah. And I love the fact that you were kind of mentioning that. I mean, you didn't say this directly, but in a way you can't sell shit no matter how cheap it goes. You have to really value, position yourself as a valuable resource and how you can be the solution to someone's problem. As you mentioned, they are like, you had a patient who was having some pretty nasty arm pain. And they went to get x-rays, MRIs, and they were just treating the elbow and arm day in and day out with no results. But then you did a simple evaluation of the neck and you found out that's the issue. So just doing it as like a whole body approach is really seems like that's what you're looking at, if you will. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, because I know you've probably had quite a few folks kind of reach out to you, maybe some prospective chiropractic students, physical therapy students just trying to kind of pick your brain, kind of see what is the best route to go within their next level of education. Maybe a few athletic trainers as well. Um, If you had to sit down with the student one-on-one and have them be a fly on the wall, what would be one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in your field? Oh, um, I mean, kind of like going back to what I was just talking about at the end of the day, if you can't talk to people, that's, I don't know if that's a foundational issue that somehow you got to figure out, but like, if you can't be personable with a patient, I, I, I don't know how you fix that. Cause I think a lot of it's just how you were raised and your own personality. Cause people will be drawn more towards the individual who's, you know, like we're very, I say this lightly, like, I'm fairly non-professional with how I talk to patients. Like I, I get to know them on a personal level. I like to enjoy my time with my patients. I, I don't walk in with like my white coat on and like act like I'm this super important doctor. I let my clinical work do the talking for me, but you got to be able to connect with your patient. Like if we want to get into like the biopsychosocial model where, you know, pain is this multifactorial thing, like they need to, like the clinical experience needs to be one that where they also feel a little bit more at ease as well. And, um, you have to be able to, um, you know, in a, in a non-direct way, work on that psychosocial aspect. Like I'm not talking to them through like what pain is and all that stuff, but you need to ease their mind on the condition they have. So like if somebody's not, if they're inept at 
being able to just hold a conversation with someone, then I think that drastically changes therapeutic outcomes. Clinically speaking, I would say, I mean, I tell them, and this applies very much to chiropractic school. Um, if, if it's somebody still in school or if it's athletic tourists, like do the continuing ed, like spend the money. It's, it's going to hit your wallet now, but do the continuing ed and learn more. Challenge your biases. Don't go to the same, you know, same courses all the time. I have my like couple, uh, couple different systems that I consistently go to courses, but every once in a while I pick something that may challenge what I'm, you know, my thought process. Cause if I'm doing the same stuff two years from now, then I know I'm not pushing myself. My practice should look completely different a year from now. So too often, I think we see clinicians get way too comfortable with what they're doing. They become uh, complacent with, with their care. So I just feel like if I'm not pushing myself to continually challenge my biases, get better then the patients are going to suffer from that. So those would be the two big things for me. Get, get better at talking to people. I don't, I, I don't know how you do that, but just get better at it and then challenge, challenge your biases, continue to learn. You should never become comfortable. I, I walk out of the clinic daily frustrated about stuff. And if I didn't, I'd be worried because if I just, if I become comfortable with patients not getting better, well, that's a, that's a pretty big issue. Yeah. And I understand that. And, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned about the communication issue um, because my gosh, I'm thinking back to all these years ago in 2018, when we first started and, in uh, Rev Roy's principal's class and how he, he looked around and it's like, half y'all don't have a personality. So half y'all going to struggle real quick once you get out of school. Yeah. And he's, and he's right on the money, you know, yeah. as much, as much as we gave him grief, he was right on the money about, you know, you got to be able to talk to someone like they don't care that you could help them with their pain because there's 20 other clinicians in the area who could do it just as well as you can. It's just how well can you talk and communicate and relate to someone's needs, wants, and desires. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was a big transition for me going from athletic training into chiropractic. You do have to have a little bit of a business sense. You need to be able to sell your care because a lot of people, especially in today's world, want the quick fix. Well, unfortunately, most things aren't going to be a quick fix. You can get an injection, you can throw medication at it. Sure, you may feel better for some time, but um, you're not changing the underlying cause. You're going to be going back for more injections. You're going to constantly be on medications. And then I'm sure we could go down a rabbit hole of lifelong ramifications of those things. But so it's difficult to get the buy-in. But with our level of study and some of the other things we look into, we know the importance of overall health. And it's not it's not an easy thing. It's a lifelong process. So, um, yeah, if you don't have if you can't sell like, and a lot of young clinicians now are like, like if we talk about treatment plans, people are like, ew, like that, it's like this bad word or bad phrase that we say, but who am I to think that I can truly make anyone better in two visits? If I'm this person who's saying I'm an evidence-based chiropractor, who's going to change function, use all these cool exercises from DNS, PRI, whatever it is, I'm not changing neurology in two visits. Like that's, that doesn't happen. I need more time. So if I'm truly, if I truly believe in what I'm selling, I, I can't, I can't do it in that amount of time. I need, you know, on average, if I see a new patient, I say, give me a month, give me three weeks. And that, that may be like two times a week, which in all reality is not much, but I, I can't, maybe I make you feel a little bit better in two weeks, but for whoever's saying like they're averaging two visits or three visits, and saying that they're like this great clinician, I call BS on that right away. You're not making the changes that you say you're changing. So, and that comes down to like my evaluation. I'm checking things like neurology, um, you know, the range of motion stuff, the tissue tone, trigger points, those things. Sure, I can throw a needle in a trigger point and it goes away. But I guarantee if I'm not changing function, that comes back. So I need to know that I'm changing function in the individual. And the only way that you can get to that point where you're, you're consistently changing function is to be able to sell why you need to see them for three, four weeks, whatever it is. Cause if they say like, ah, I just want to come in once or twice. Cool. Well then you're going to get 
the kind of results that you'll get from one or two visits. It's not going to be, it's not going to be groundbreaking. I might be able to help some, but I need to see you for a month. And, and just in my clinical experience, that's what I need. And I'm not, I'm not being gross or like selling some kind of treatment plan. I just know that's, that's what I need to make the changes that I think would be best for that individual. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I know a lot of students, like I've had a few shadow me as well. And they've said the same thing, like, oh, treatment plans, oh, marketing. And it's just like, well, here's the thing. Like, if you try to sell someone short, that's considered malpractice, even if you're trying to oversell them. Like the guys who are doing three times a week for a year, clearly we both know that's not right. Mm-hmm. But also telling a patient, you're going to be fine in two visits and I'll never have to see you again. That's also considered malpractice. So you just need to just follow what you know your experience says what the research suggests, and also what the patient's goals are. Like if they're sedentary and they're telling they want to run a marathon, but they've had a low back pain for six years and then nothing about it, it's going to take a little bit longer than that person who's physically fit, who has a healthy diet, who's a little bit younger. All of those really take into effect as well. And I think that's what a lot of young clinicians have a tough time really focusing on. And and it's funny that I say young clinician because you and i have only been out of school for what a year and a half yeah so. <laughs> i still consider myself an older young clinician but just biologically older clinician i i hear what you're saying man but but here's the thing though what's unique about you is that you still have a plethora of clinical experience sure not as a level of a chiropractor but right. you still have it as an athletic trainer so I imagine the transition, other than the communication aspect of it, wasn't really too difficult for you. Would you say that's the case? I think athletic training did a really good job in terms, like, it's it's a different mindset, different kind of people that you're dealing with. But during your time as an athletic trainer, like, I, you know, like, speaking with coaches, for instance, which is, like, depending on what sport or what level you're working with, like, a Division One basketball coach, they've got all the ego in the world specifically the one I was working with. And this is me at like 22 years old, fresh out of grad school, working with this guy. And he's been in the profession for at that point, probably 20 years. So like he's been around, but so he's been around for a moment. So I needed to, I mean, basically fake it till I make it. I, I knew I had to walk into that room. Like if I was going to go give the injury report, I had to go in there very sure of what I was about to say because I did not want to be the guy going in there stumbling on my words like, eh, I think maybe we should hold. It was like, no, like, here's what I think. Here's what we should do. I would include him in the in the thought process because me going in and saying this is what's happening would not have gone well. But saying like, all right, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what I suggest. What do you think? And then as soon as I get my answer, turn around and walk out that that door. And now that's something that I've carried over into my practice where like I don't linger like I tell them what what I think is going to be best I make sure they're on on the same plan as I am because if if they're not well this isn't going to go well I need them bought in and I need them to be a part of the treatment plan and then once I get the answer I want I'm out of there like, I, I don't leave room for any sort of like stuttering or like stumbling over my old, own words I need them to know that you know this is what's happening and this is why we're doing it. And are you on board or not? And I think that's, that's probably an area where a lot of new clinicians and I, it's something I'm still working on too, but just that communication aspect can be huge because you don't want the, the, you don't want the patient see you sweat and kind of, you know, not being too sure of what you're, you're talking about. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of goes back to the idea of the buy-in is like, would you purchase this treatment plan? Like, would you ethically try to present your findings to your significant other, to your mother, to your family? Uh-huh. And if you're comfortable with that, then you're making the right recommendation to your client that's in front of you. And that's how it seems like you and I both really approach the practice, at least the business side of things. Like if we're at an event doing something like for me in particular, I do a lot of farmers markets. I started working with the football team here in town and I just give straight to them. It's like, Hey, this is what's going on. But I also think, you know, this shoulder might also be contributing to some of the pain that's going on inside your neck. We need to tackle both of them at the same time. This is how long it's going to take. This is what we're going to do regarding the adjustment, soft tissue rehab, etc. This is how much it's going to cost. You know, this is what you need to get better based on what your goals are. How do you want to proceed? And then let them make a decision. 
and whatever decision they make, you fully support it. Whether they sign up with you or they say, you know, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't want to address it today. And then just reassure them that you're going to be there for them in the future if they decide to change their mind. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I think like the, it all stems back or comes back to that, that communication, right? So by the end of the first visit, I want them to be completely in the know on, well, why do I think it needs to be two times a week for three weeks? Here's the overall progression of what we need to work through over the next three weeks, four weeks. Because if I just say two times a week for four weeks and don't give an explanation as to why, well, then um, them going up front and scheduling those appointments is much less likely. So me literally sitting there at the end of the appointment and writing out the timeline in terms of, okay, here's what we here's what we need to do for this. That just makes um, compliance so much better because then they they know exactly what we're going for. Uh, they know what's expected. And instead of just saying, you know, I need to see a, whatever it is for 72 visits, yeah, we're going to need an upfront payment for this. Like, and unfortunately, people do that. Um, but if, if, if you can lay out the treatment plan, which once again, like, ooh, bad word, but if we want to actually make changes, we need to have treatment plans or game plans or whatever you call it. Um, you, you need to communicate upfront. Why, why are we doing this? And why do I need this many visits to get it, get it done? So communication. And if you can't communicate, well, then it all falls apart. Well, even with the communication aspect of it that you're mentioning, like, and we've talked about it a little bit as well, but another bad word that, a lot of folks in healthcare really cringe at is that marketing word. It just seems like it's a really, really bad word for folks. And if, if any student, regardless of your chiropractor, physical therapy, if you have the opportunity to listen to some of, it's a doctor, his name is, he's in Florida. His name is Kevin Christie. He's considered like the modern yep. chiropractic marketing guru guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he is just a phenomenal resource of how it's think of it more as an education and invitation to your marketing so that in a way you're not directly saying buy now, sell later, kind of like a marketing scheme. It's more like, hey, you know, you have low back pain. Try these three tips at home. And if none of these work, something else might be going on. Give us a call and let's see what we can do for you. Yeah. Um, would you say that is something similar to what you do whenever you go to an event? Well, like when you, so Kevin's really good friends with our practice. So all the things that I'm saying very much stem from some of Christie's work. I've read his books. We, you know, he's tied in with MPI a lot. So we've, I've had a lot, he's actually helping Ulm, who, um, Ulm is the owner of the clinic I'm at. Um, they communicate a lot in terms of, okay, what do we need to do marketing wise? Um, so I would agree, like in terms of chiropractic marketing, Chrissy's so like if there's any students listening or clinicians, then that's a good source to go to, to, to see how it's done. Um, but sorry, remind me of the question again. I just want to give him credit there. No, you're fine. No worries. And like, I'll give him credit any day of the week for yeah. sure. Um, I, I was just saying, you know, from a marketing approach, a lot of people don't want to be directly marketed. No, they, they kind of view it as like, oh, this guy's just trying to sell me something nowadays. Uh -huh. But it seems like what we're trying to do, especially with you, is that you're trying to approach it more as an education and then an invitation. So what I mean by that is that let's say you're doing like a, a YouTube video on low back pain. Mm -hmm. You say, you know, this is what can cause low back pain. Let me show you some three easy tips that you can do at home to make sure it doesn't get worse. And if those don't work, give us a call and let's see what we can help you out with. Would you say that's kind of similar to what you guys do at your clinic? Hey, Doc, you there? Did I lose you? Hear me again? Yep, there we go. We lost you for a second. Sorry. Uh, the grassroots marketing bit is is our biggest focus. So getting out into the public and, and um, actually getting to know people. So our office started in the early 2010s when CrossFit was in its heyday and everybody was doing CrossFit to the extreme and just blowing up every joint on their body. Uh, CrossFit, thankfully, has changed a little bit since then. And the, the programming is much better than it used to be. But like 
early on, it was a lot of getting out to the local CrossFit community doing, we'll do, we do a lot of free workshops. Like we'll go out and do like an hour, whatever trunk stability workshop or squat workshop or, you know, shoulder, whatever the topic is, whatever they want us to, to touch on. Um, so just doing things like that, I, I think the biggest return on an investment is events like that, or we've been steering more into the medical marketing going and uh, like, if I ever get a referral from a doctor, I am for sure reaching back out to them and saying, thank you. Um, here's my notes for my visit. Here's what we do. Um, and then potentially at some point trying to see if they'd like to meet up for coffee or have us bring lunch over to them. Um, but I think a lot of people get stuck in the, like, uh, I can't think of the word for it, but basically just door to door marketing, going, dropping off some business cards and saying, Hey, send people to me that never works. So like you have to form these relationships and, and, um, you know, get your face out in your community. That, that's what, like, I'm not a big CrossFitter, but I go to a CrossFit gym. Because on the off chance that I'm just there on the right day and someone is saying like, oh, I got back pain. Well, I'm close enough with all the coaches where, where they'll say, why don't you go talk to Brad over there? And then I get a new patient out of that. And then if I do a good job with that patient, maybe they'll send me their, you know, friend or family member. I think that's those are the best referrals when you've treated someone and then they want to refer, you know, a spouse, a kid or a friend to you. Those are, those are the absolute best because then, you know, you're doing a really good job. And I think that's where, at least in my practice, I'm finally starting to see the turnover where I've been in practice long enough where people know me and like, I'll get referrals from patients I haven't seen in like seven months or whatever it is. And they've told a friend that they should come see me, but yeah, so I, I, the grassroots stuff is the big thing. Getting out there and just meeting people because like this, I put a lot of time into our social media. Um, I think we've gotten maybe three referrals from social media in the time that I've been there. Yeah. But it also helps build the overall brand. So I continue to put the effort into it because brand building is important because we want, once again, the moment someone walks into the office, it's you know, the color scheme, how the front desk tre uh, treats them. Uh, if they look us up on our web page, our, our web page is updated. We have our YouTube channel go. So like, we're just constantly there and they have all these resources that we're giving them. And we're just, you, you just kind of have to be in the, in the front of their head a little bit. Um, but I think like right now, the, the big thing is just boots to the ground, getting out there and meeting people because my biggest, um, uh, my biggest, uh, thing right now is that I, I have the time. So I, I, I'm going to different gyms and just getting a working out at different places and then people see me. And then if they, if they want to come in, awesome. I, I don't push it on people. I say, well, you know, if you want to come in, that's my number, just give me a call. But I think people can definitely be a little bit too pushy with that stuff. And I think that turns, turns people off. Um, but just an invite and not, not really pushing it on people. Yeah. And it's exactly what you were mentioning about how it's more the idea of that education invitation. So once people kind of get to know you, they may look up your brand. And I, I think I read a stat from one, one of my old uh, marketing folks who I used to have on my team. Um, they used to tell me that you need to have at least 11 to 12 hours of content to start building trust with just like random strangers who are looking you up. And it seems like that's really what you're trying to do is position yourself as the expert in your field for what you treat, how well you can treat it and what you do to help resolve it to make sure it doesn't come back over time. Um, so, hey, hey, doc, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time, especially since you just got out of the clinic. So I just got a couple more questions for you and then I'll let you sneak out for the day. But I really appreciate you taking time yes. just to kind of sit down and, and shoot the shit with me again. It's, it's been way too long, I tell you. Um, so let me ask you this. I got, I got a couple more questions for you. The next one I would say is a lot of people, when they think of chiropractors, you know, they, they believe it as this voodoo magic. If I adjust my bones, I will never have cancer and, and yada, yada. And then, and then, they, then you have the other folks on the other end of the spectrum who don't even adjust at all. And they're like, just move and drink water. You'll be just fine. 
So if we were to say Dr. Muse, where he positions himself as a clinician and a leader for a profession, where would you say that you would see yourself within five to 10 years from now? Um, it's kind of like my political view is very moderate. I'm, I'm like right in the middle of all that stuff. Cause kind of going back to the marketing or like having a successful practice, like uh, this evidence base, uh, and I'm definitely going to go off on a little tangent here, but like this whole evidence base thing, like the people who say like, all you got to do is exercise, drink water, just move. Well, good luck telling that to my patient who walks in the door, who's had 30 plus years of chronic back pain, who can't function throughout the day. If it just took some, some gentle move, like moving yourself, they'd be better a long time. So I'd be curious to know how those people's they're oftentimes the loudest on social media and on the internet. They must have a lot of free time to be posting this stuff and getting in comment sections. And it's probably because they don't have very many patients. Because there, there's no way you can build a successful practice if all you're doing is telling people, no, you shouldn't be in here. You need to go just move around. So I call BS like this whole thing with not putting our hands on patients and um, it, it's it's not going to get the job done. There is a time and place for that kind of thing, but we need to utilize things like manual therapy and, and guided exercise to get them to the point where then they can do the general exercise. Cause that is our goal is to get them to that point. But if all it took was drinking some more water and, you know, like move, like squatting, however you want and all that stuff, well, everybody would be perfectly healthy. So it's not, I just call BS on that. But then on the opposite end of that spectrum is the chiropractor who says you have to see me you know, every single week for however long so that I can bestow my magic healing powers on you. Uh, I call the same amount of BS on that. So like when you're on either end of that spectrum, it's just, it's just not good. You need to be somewhere in the middle. So like, I think my practice in 10 years will look similar in terms of principles, but in terms of execution, I think it will be different. Kind of like I mentioned with the continuing ed stuff, I hope I hope six months from now, my practice looks very different, let alone 10 years. So, um, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, at some point open up my own practice and have this multidisciplinary approach because there's a time and place for things like medication and injections. It's needed. Is it overprescribed? Absolutely. But if we can have a multidisciplinary approach where we can do a really good uh, conservative treatment plan and do a really good evaluation, then determine, okay, well, no, you're, you're actually a surgical case um, and have, you know, those MDs in the office who can provide those kind of services. That's what I want. And then I also want like person, well, in my, in my case, I want athletic trainers in my office who can do more of the long-term rehab type stuff because some people need general rehabilitative exercise. I want things like massage therapy and, um, if you can have all these things under one roof, then I don't see a better, uh, a better treatment approach than, than that with all these different disciplines working cohesively. So that's, that's my big, that's my big goal to have, to have that kind of environment where, where we can do all that in, in one place. I love hearing it. I love hearing it, man. It sounds like you have some big dreams and one day at a time, you're getting closer to it. Yeah. Um, so we're learning a lot about Brad, the clinician, you know, the scholar, if you will, the communicator. <laughs> yeah. um, what uh, Some folks, you know, we also want to know Brad, the human. So if you had to recommend three books for an audience to read, what would be your top three books and why? Uh, the sad thing is my clinical stuff is also what I really enjoy. It's like, it's like a hobby, right? So most of my books I'd recommend would be clinical outside of that. Um, um, oh, and you even gave me some of these questions ahead of time. So I need, this is where I should have paid attention to what I said initially <laughs> uh, from, from my own enjoyment, any of the Harry Potter books, um, you know, they get better as you get into the later books, I'd say. Um, um, oh, what's the, 
I'm trying to think of some of the names of some of the more. I like Tim Ferriss stuff. That always gets me jazzed up a little bit to think that I can be a more high performer um, just in my day-to-day life. Oh, I should say, not really a book, but this will be a self-plug. The Clinician's Journal. I hear that's great. <laughs> well, tell us, what, what is the Clinician's wrote, Journal? It's just a daily daily habits journal. It, it, just something I put together for clinicians. Um, but I use it on a daily basis, and it just helps me keep my, keep my uh, mind on track. In terms of the business stuff, I like uh, Seth Godin. I think he, he's great. So like one book called Permission Marketing is great. Um, I have a big interest in JFK. So I've been reading some other stuff on him because I just think that whole story is um, really interesting. Um, Why We Sleep is amazing. That's by Matthew Walker. That's somewhat clinical, but it just if you want to scare yourself into having better sleep habits, read that. Um, there's a book called the science of storytelling by Will store, which is, you know, one of my dreams. And one of the reasons why I got into chiropractic was to potentially teach seminars. So the art of storytelling is great for anyone who wants to get better at, you know, speaking and, and weaving a, you know, a story. Um, and I'm trying to think of, Oh, I mean, there's the outliers outliers is a really good book in terms of it kind of explores why, uh, certain people were able to transcend, you know, the field and become these great performers. So, um, yeah, I think that the, the, I mean, there's so many more I could go into, but I think those are good starting points for like some for enjoyment, some for just reading up on some history and then some for like a little bit of clinical stuff. I love it. That's some great stuff. And you gave me a lot of recommendations. So I'm definitely going to have to check some of those out. <laughs> um, for some folks regarding your uh, book, The Clinician Journal, what's the best way some folks can get a, can maybe order that or learn more about it? Oh, it's on Amazon. Um, and what, once again, like I, I, it stemmed from, I've always been a person who I, I've used daily journals to, and more so like guided daily journals to track like, okay, here's what I'm going to do today. Here's what I'm going to do this month. Here's my goals for the next couple months. Because if I don't write it down, then I find myself just kind of haphazardly going through, you know, through my days and weeks. So in terms of the, the clinician's journal, it's much like many of the other daily habit forming journals you'll see, but it's much more geared towards the clinician and the student. So it's just something like it just involves, I mean, it's pretty simple. It starts with like, I think it, the, the book itself has, it, it covers four months. So it's setting up your goal for those four months. So you'll set actionable steps at the beginning of your journaling to journaling to figure out, okay, what are my overall goals here? What are my steps to reaching those goals? And then it has month by month and on a day to day basis, it will have, you know, your calendar for the days. So setting out my day. So once again, I'm not just haphazardly going through the day, but I'm setting out in the morning. Here's what I need to achieve today. And here's what my day looks like. It has your morning gratitude. Cause I think that helps, you know, with someone like myself, who's dealt with, you know, anxiety, depression stuff in the, in the past, I like including some of that stuff to just have that morning gratitude to set my mind in the right, right space has stuff for marketing, has stuff for your social media, has stuff for your clinical findings. So like, uh, like this week, for example, I made it a goal of mine each day to just kind of review my patients from that day, especially the tough ones. Like, okay, well, what, what went wrong in that appointment? And maybe it wasn't even like my treatment, but like maybe I felt the conversation was off because if I have like subpar conversation, that bot, it just sticks with me. So like, I, I want to go back and, and review what happened. And then at the end of the day, I have, you know, two failures and one success. Cause that's just how my mind works. I, you know, I like a little bit of self punishment. So I, I focus more on the failures, but then it's also, how do I, I have, I write after that. How do I learn from that? 
Um, so it just helps me not get stagnant in what I'm doing and trying to learn on a daily basis in terms of how do I, how do I progressively get better? And, um, you know, obviously I'm, uh, very bought into my own book, but it's helped me. Um, and it, you know, it's get, it's now getting implemented, implemented within the MPI world reps will be getting it. Kevin Christie has a copy. Um, I've had a number of people buy it. I'm starting to market it a little bit more, but for the most part, I made it for myself. And then if anybody else gets, you know, help from it, awesome. But it was a very selfish uh, reason behind making it just so that I could have what I wanted in the book. Well, hey, that's half the battle right there. If you found something that helps you, but you feel like it benefit others, then why not try to promote it and just see what what happens where it takes you? Absolutely. All right. So I got one more, two more questions for you, sir. Yeah. Um, what would you say would also be your top three podcast and why? Uh, this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been a Joe Rogan uh, do you mean like clinical or just podcast in general? Just in general, whatever you would recommend to someone. Well, like more of my like easy listening stuff would be like Joe Rogan, Bill Burr. I've been a fan of his for a long time. So I like like those are like mostly my morning drive kind of things. Like I'll listen to those kind of things just to like shut my brain off and just listen to some stupid rants on stuff. Clinically, um, you know, I think Brett and Taylor do a good job with their Gestalt podcast. Um, you know, from the business sense, uh, Kevin Christie has has a good one. Mechanical Care Forum is one mainly based on the McKinsey method. So they have a lot of different guests. A lot of them are instructors for the McKinsey method, but then just also great clinicians who, um, you know, work in that that kind of field. And then I also like the neurology stuff. So I'll listen to like uh, talk neuro to me, which is the Carrick one, or um, I forget what it's called. It's, it's through the wellness Institute. Uh, it's, a, it's another functional neurology podcast, but I just kind of, I just kind of jump back and forth between those kind of things. So in terms of like musculoskeletal care, gestalt, um, Dr. Ohm has one that he puts out, he puts his out, very seldomly, but he has really good talks with some high level um, practitioners when he does put it out. Um, and then in terms of the neurology stuff is, that I mentioned, and then Kevin Christie for like more of the business stuff, I think, I think his is good. I love it. That's awesome. All right, sir. Well, hey, we've, I mean, my God, I felt like I learned a lot about, yeah. And I went and I, when I was in class with you, you know, 40 hours a week for three years, it seems like I still, I'm still learning more about you. I, I just absolutely love it. We were half um, asleep during most of that anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was out of that or you were at a seminar. I was like, where the hell is Brad? He seems like he's always gone every Friday or so. But, yeah. um, anyways, man, hey, it was really great catching up with you. Um, if anybody want to know a little bit more about you, um, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? or social media what's what's a good way to contact you um i haven't exactly started like i do have my own social media but it's just for me to go on and look at other people's social media the, most of my clinical stuff i'm putting up through my office which is once again columbus chiropractic and rehabilitation center so i'm con i'm the one who runs our social media so you can almost on a daily basis things are going up on there um, our YouTube channel, you can find stuff on there as well. My goal in the near future is that I'll begin to explore more of my own marketing for my own brand, but, um, that may be like a next year thing. Cause my sole focus right now is building my own practice. So then I'll kind of get into that. But, um, yeah, I mean, people can reach out to me either on my office page or even on my personal page. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always open to talk to other clinicians, especially students. Like I, you know, like I mentioned, I was heavily involved in the MPI. So I'm constantly talking to um, current reps about what they've got going on at their schools. But I love, I, I love those kind of chats to kind of share my experience. Not that I'm this like fountain of knowledge, but at least with my experience, I feel like I can hopefully shed some light on some things for some docs 
who are in school or like or in in the field so awesome i love it uh what, what would what is what are the uh handles for your social media so someone can get a hold of you if they wanted to oh um oh i can't get on uh i think i think my my personal one is just dr bradley muse maybe um question mark <laughs> yeah and then i think the office one is columbus.crc okay yeah perfect awesome i love seeing it doc. email would be uh uh bradley muse dc at gmail okay sounds good well hey you guys heard it yourself those are two great ways to get a hold of dr muse if you have any questions or concerns just want to know a little bit more about him um, like I said, Doc, hey, it was really great catching up with you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day just to sit down and shoot the shit with me again. It's been, like I said, it's been way too long. And I hope all is well with you in Columbus. Uh, keep up the great work, man. I'm always admiring you. And, and I just love what you're doing for your community back home in Ohio. So thanks so much. Yeah, you too, dude. I, you know, you're, I can tell you're putting in a lot of work with this stuff. And I see the stuff you're doing with your clinic. So always happy to see other people in the same boat killing it. So. So, all right, everyone, this is Dr. Poland from Superior Chiropractic and Rehab Radio. We'll see you at your next episode. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey, everyone, it's Dr. Poland here again. I so appreciate you listening to our podcast. I know you probably got a lot out of it that you can help implement into your day-to-day activities and lifestyle. So like I said before, I would really appreciate you to help support our channel as we grow to go into other communities so we can achieve our goal of making sure everyone is active, strong, and healthy without prescription drugs or surgery. So how we're going to do that is that by going to our page, hitting like and subscribe so you get notifications and when a new episode drops, and you can help share it to your friends and family. So this is Dr. Poland. Thanks again for listening. I so appreciate it. Have a great day.